Welcome back to Fantastic Voyage, the David Bowie podcast. I'm your co-host, Jesse. And I'm John. You can find us on Twitter at Bowie Podcast, and we also ask that you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate that immensely. Yes, indeed. Tell a friend about the show. Yeah, tell a Bowie fan about the show. We want to get more people uh, engaging with us and have more people a part of our discussion because that's what makes this all so fun. Absolutely. So today we are talking about Aladdin Sane, and we are on side B now. Uh, We've flipped it over. And before we get into the first track... On this side, we are going to just pause and talk about the album cover, which... Where is it? You must have it kicking around somewhere here. Yeah, hang on. Well, we know what it looks like. Oh, no, I've got it. Okay. No, I've never seen this picture before. What's going on No, never. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's iconic, that's for sure. Uh, It's it's Bowie, uh, eyes closed, or looking down, I can't really tell, with a lightning bolt. Across his uh, eye. It's the Mona Lisa of pop, I think I've seen it. Uh, yeah, that's that, that does it. Um, definitely like his most iconic album cover, but maybe it's almost kind of become like too iconic. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but like... like yeah, I know what you mean. When he died, you'd have sworn this cover was like the only thing he'd ever done. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this yeah, is where yeah. I kind of start creeping into like that pretentious territory, but... It's a fantastic uh, cover, don't get me wrong, but... No, I'm with you on that. I, I yeah. kind of hate this idea of Bowie being reduced to, like, the guy who painted a flash on his face. I think that's selling him short, but... I mean, things do kind of become cliche for a reason. Maybe this is one of the examples of it being for good reason. It is a great picture. Yeah. I, I love that it was him looking down. If you look at the outtakes, there's a lot more of him sort of looking at the camera, looking to the side. I think the one of him with the... This pose, the, the the looking down, it just it looks like it's a bit more of a statement. Yeah, he looks really really cool. Yeah, what's what is that thing on his shoulder on his shoulder blade or not blade but the you know collarbone? That's it. Like, what is that? It's like an oil spill or it's like a like what the hell? I've never I've always been. Yeah, I always look at that too, and yeah. I, I I'm sure there's something. There probably is a. It looks like a meaning a, to it. But. Yeah, it looks like it could be like a ray gun if you look at it one way. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, what, what the hell? If if anybody knows what that is, please uh, at Bowie podcast us and and let us know. Did you ever hear the story of how the the cover came to be? Uh, no, I was. I have not. It was a guy named uh, was it, I think it's Pierre Laroche. I think he was the makeup LaRoche. artist and. Well, initially he had done like a, a, a tiny little bolt on his face and Brian Duffy, who was the photographer, apparently was freaking out because it wasn't working and apparently he like grabbed the marker off of him and said, not fucking like this, like this. Instead, he was like really mad and then he drew it much bigger and that's how it came to be, which is funny because it's uh, it's another one of those last minute ideas that wound up being like iconic and essential. A lot of, you know, Bowie's best songs seem to be last-minute ideas. I guess his album covers are the same. That's a good way to tie it in, yeah. Something I'm just noticing now, I've never looked at it so closely. Uh, I really like the way that... See, above his eye, the way that that's kind of jagged? Yeah. That's cool. I've never noticed that before. 
I've heard it theorized that, that those little lines under his nose are like cocaine. You know, it's oh, like representing God. cocaine. It's a snot channel. That's yeah, all it is. I, I, I kind of don't really know if that was <laughs> intentional or not either. But it, it's another one of those interesting uh, stories, too, it, where they used, like, it was the most expensive album cover ever produced up until that point, apparently. Like, they had a... Uh, they had like a seven color palette that was used for it instead of like the usual like uh, huh. a four color palette. Interesting. Yeah, like apparently it cost them a lot of money to produce the the cover because it was just it popped more or something. I don't need to the, freeze. The, yeah, it was spend, spend, spend. Yeah, yeah. Led to uh, it led to an interesting note on a song, uh, "Glamour Boy" by uh, the Guess Who. Oh yeah, Burton Cummings is very envious of how much RCA was, was spending. Was spending because yeah, so uh, great uh, Winnipeg band, uh, the Guess Who, which is where we're from. Which is where Winnipeg, we're from, Manitoba, Canada. Yeah, they. Uh, uh, maybe this is just a Winnipeg thing, but they're just the most criminally underrated band like, ever. Uh, but we won't get it too much into that. But anyway, yeah, they were really upset. They were RCA. Uh, they were signed to RCA as well, and yeah. <laughs> there's a song called Glamour Boy. It's a good song, uh, but it's. It's Burton Cummings basically bitching about Bowie getting all this, I don't know, all this funding, even though I, maybe he didn't even realize how good he was at that point. I, I don't know. Well, and to be fair to Bowie, too, I mean, he, like, he kind of had to pay for a lot of it. You know, like, they were investing right. in him, but, like, I think yeah, when it, this when the Ziggy tour was over, they, they're – he was how much how – much they were, were they? Yeah, they were broke. Uh, they were worse than broke. And they basically were like – agreed that Bowie's album sales would pay it off. So I yeah. don't know if we talked in the last episode of how all the clinger-ons and that were ordering lobster for breakfast every day and mm-hmm. hookers and cocaine and everything. Bowie paid for all of it out yeah. of pocket when it was all said and done. Yeah. I guess maybe it was the opportunity that he was jealous of, or maybe he was the, just The promotion, the publicity, yeah. and, you know, I think Burton was kind of making it like, oh, he's just, this isn't rock and roll, he's just putting makeup on and he's getting all the attention, this is bullshit, you know, like it's, yeah. it's all... Uh, it's a fad, you know, it's a facade, no, but, you know, Bowie was, Bowie's, uh, the music hasn't aged poorly. No. Pe- people care about Bowie a little bit more than they do Burton Cummings in the year 2021, which is why you're listening to us talk about David Bowie and not Burton Cummings. Yes. Well said. <laughs> uh, so let's get, let's get started. Let's drop the needle and get into side B of Aladdin Sane. Side kicks off with Time. This one was inspired by New Orleans, or New Orleans. Bowie found his guitar ace in in Mick Ronson a few years prior to this, and now he's got his piano ace. Uh, He's got Mike Garson on board, and... He's got pocket aces now. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And this is... uh, The time to me, is the pinnacle of what those two main ingredients can add to a Bowie song. It's the best of everything kind of combined into one. Uh, Yeah, that's... (laughs) I really, really like what Garson and Ronson add to this one. Yeah, like, so... You know, Garson really allowed Bowie's art rock direction to take flight. You know, we mentioned it on the last episode. Garson wasn't a rock and roll pianist. He was a, a jazz and, and, and more of a, an avant-garde pianist. Now, 
what that allowed Bowie to do was kind of like break free from the confines of rock and roll. And you can almost tell that Ronson's days are, are maybe numbered. You know, the seed has probably already been planted in Bowie's head that this rock and roll Ziggy thing is going to come to an end sooner rather than later. And yeah. he's going to be on to something different. But like you mentioned, it is cool that Ronson stuck around during the transformation because... This record, and this song in particular, I agree, is a very neat intertwining of the styles. We get Ronson, the guitar hero, and Garson, the artsy pianist. This song has them almost battling against each other. Garson probably wins, and he kind of dominates this one a bit more, but, I mean, don't sleep on Ronson. He had some very nice flourishes to this track as well. Well, yeah, and... So, yeah, uh, the intro to this song is just, it's cabaret. It, I feel like I'm in a circus. It's out of uh, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Uh, oh, our first Beatles reference of the album. We managed to get through an entire episode last one. Without Sunday, mentioning, without the, Beatles. mentioning well. the Beatles. We did it. Or uh, the Happy Land kids. Anyway. Uh, it's disappointing. It is kind of disappointing. I'll, we'll throw them in here somewhere. So, yeah, the... Absolutely love uh, what Garson's done to to this. It's just, oh, it's just phenomenal. Um, but yeah, get, getting back to to what Ronson adds, the the, the screeching guitar um, after the you know the the part where it just drops and you can just hear Bowie breathing. It sounds like a horse who's been like stabbed or something and is screeching at the top of its lungs. I I, I don't know what, it, I, I don't even know how he did it. It sounds like there's a wall involved, maybe some pick scratching and he, it's turned up. And a lot of gain. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's the best moment in uh, guitar history. I think like I, I'll go out on a limb and say, this is just, it is so freaking cool. I'm not evicting time. It's horrific sounding. That's that's the only way I could really describe it, I guess. I, I'm trying to do it justice, but I feel like I'm lost for words. That is like the whole vibe of the song to me. It's kind of like a disturbing thing. I, I almost get like a Tim Burton Nightmare Before Christmas vibes when yeah. I play this song. You know, yeah. I, I kind of picture, I mean, kind of similar to you. Um, what did you, you said it was like a circus or something. Yeah. For me, it's, I picture almost like this creepy, spooky dungeon with like, with spiders, like these yeah. gi- giant spiders with like long legs playing the piano, yeah. like greeting you while you walk into, I mean, wherever it is, this song takes place, probably hell or like maybe a nightmare where, where time is mocking you. Uh, Fitting that it was a huge part of the glass spider tour. Yes. Yeah. Spi- I, like I said, it's just I picture these long, creepy legs playing the piano or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I, have you ever watched? Uh, it, there's one of the Bowie documentaries. Uh, Garson kind of shows off playing this, and just watching his hands go up and oh, it's just yeah. So you would need to be a spider. But you, you need eight. Yeah. Legs his his, to his hands this. look very spider esque as he plays it. Yeah, it's just, it's a very, uh, it's a haunting song. It's one where it's almost like uh, it's the Grim Reapers here and, you know, your mortality is is sort of looming over you and and you're on the cusp of a breakdown almost. And uh, 
Garson's plane kind of makes it almost like a dark humor type of thing again. We mentioned that on the last episode a couple times. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think a song like this almost has like Black Mirror, Twilight Zone vibes to it. You know, it has that type of aura to it. Yeah. You know, time is here to haunt you and that, you know, the, the creepy vaudeville vibe. It, it, it kind of does much, make yeah. it seem almost tongue in cheek, you know, so it's kind of like that dark humor is coming back again. And I think Ronson adds to that a little bit too, aside from that screeching uh, part. Um, the his tone throughout this song is very metal sounding. It's it's very yeah uh, yeah. It's it's just got I can't. It's just very metal. It's like melodic and heavy. Yeah. Which is what a lot of the like Metallica is melodic and heavy. You know. So in the part of the song where Bowie's singing, uh, demanding Billy Dolls and other friends of mine, the the guitar almost sounds like. It's uh, a, it's like part of a score to an old creature feature where like uh, the phantom is emerging from behind a hidden bookshelf that spins. Boy. And that last little part is like a, maybe they didn't see, you know, Dracula come from behind. He's like, I'm here, guys. Like The, the jump scare, <laughs> but you went to the washroom. I was like, wait. <laughs> yeah, it's like that, uh, hello. Yeah, I, I just, you know, that's actually the, that particular uh, riff or that little, that part is what first caught my attention when I listened to this song. Over that other solo that I talked about earlier, which is kind of funny. I can still picture exactly where I was when I heard that and this song grabbed me and that's what got me to replay it again and then be like, holy shit, like this song is fucking amazing. Uh, Yeah, I would say this one is top five Bowie song for me. Maybe higher. Sure, I mean, it's... uh... (laughs) I mean, it's always hard for me to be like, oh, is it for me? I mean, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the best. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that we're, I mean, we'll maybe get to, to Garson a bit more in detail, but I'm glad that we're talking about Ronson here because, like I said, Ronson is maybe not the focal point of this song, but he's still so very vital to the song. And I, I think there's, like, Ken Scott, uh, what he was able to do with, with Ronson's playing is very important, too. He was able to, like, achieve achieve this sound of Ronson's guitar kind of like moving backwards and forwards. He was like adding and subtracting reverb mm-hmm. to it throughout the song. Similar to what he did on Moon Age Daydream. Yeah, yeah. So once again, it's just like, you know, you have this this collection of just great minds surrounding Bowie. Um, and, and there's no shortage of them. And, and Ronson's playing near the end of this song. I love a lot too, because yes. it produces this, uh, I mean, it's a different tone. It's a different mood than the rest of the song. It almost sounds like a release nostalgic or something yeah. yeah a release a relief because like the, yeah. the song was just full-on haunty creepy and then it kind of gets a little yeah like it's a bit more of a, yeah i think a release is a, a good i feel like it's it. like a, you're conceding almost to, yeah you're, you're giving yeah, in. yes exactly yeah. yes
And I, I love how at that part, or during that part, uh, Garson's driving the bus. So he's, he's keeping everything together, and, and Ronson is playing some just amazing pieces. And then when it gets to the la-la-las at the end, then Ronson takes a step back, and it allows Garson to then go yeah. off and, and, you know, move outside the box. Just great, great chemistry. Uh, just really well. Uh, like, what a great arrangement on this on this song. Like, ugh. yeah. I mean, I, I I just said top five off the top of my head. I've answered. This is the best Bowie song. Uh, if someone has asked me, I, I've probably said this multiple times. It, it, it's up there, uh, and because there's just so many components of this that are great. Mm-hmm. His his. We haven't even talked about his vocal on it. He just. Oh, he's just belting things out towards the end the the second uh i had so many dreams oh I had so man many breakthroughs. yeah that's that's the best delivery on the record yeah yeah it's it's kind of doing what the guitar is doing it's kind of it, it's a sense of finality or something it's yeah. a sense of it's just different from the first half of the song yeah um and it really fits the the mood of the second half of the song it's my favorite part from from a vocal i mean I don't know. There's there's lots of great uh, vocal tidbits to pick out, like the the voice effect on you, uh, right before that guitar wailing. Right, I think uh, Ken Scott had gotten Bowie to sing closer to the mic when he did the "You Were Not a Victim." Yeah. You know, every time he says it, it's a lot louder, and so uh, it, it makes it a, a lot more personal. You know, it's a very entrancing song both from like a production standpoint and from a lyrical perspective, he also breaks the fourth wall again on this song. Yeah. You know, on the last record, uh, he'd said in uh, five years, I don't think you knew you, you knew. were in this yeah. song. And now he's, you know, he's singing once again here, like his trick is you and me. He, he's placing the listener in the song. You are not a song. victim, you. you I, and then, I think then, then he sounds, he, yeah, he sounds like a maniac when he says scream with boredom. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, just once again, what, what I, I, I love about David Bowie, the, the songwriter and, and the performer and, and the, the guy who's able to just get all these musicians in the room at, at the right place at the right time are, are the unique emotions that they're able to bring out in his songs. And that's because of all the different styles and textures he used. Garson plays a huge role in this. And Garson has always raved about Bowie in interviews for his ability to to like mine every style of piano playing Garson had learned over the years and find a place for them in his songs, right? Because like, it's one thing to, oh, I got this great pianist and he can play all these different types of things, but Bowie was able to kind of extract it all. Right. Yeah. And it was different styles in different places because this is a lot different than a lot of the other songs on this record. So we get a, a just a very wide array from Garson on this record and it's just it's incredible that this was like his introduction to the world on a mainstream level like you would you'd think this was like a seasoned veteran who'd been playing with this band for like 10 years or something but like no this was his yeah this was his first crack at like that Aladdin Sane piano solo and then this like he had only been playing with them for like a month or something it's really wild that he was able to 
perform at the level that he did. And I think Garson was the missing ingredient for this uh, this chord structure because I had mentioned on the Space Oddity episode that uh, Signet Committee, uh, and I mean, that part, this specific part of the song is maybe not where Garson is totally the main uh, driving force of it. But, it, I mean, okay, so this, this song was kind of an early version of it, was can be found on Signet Committee. Uh, and then he actually wrote this song, like an early version of this song was written for, I think it was George Underwood. He was singing it too, apparently, yeah. I think, on that version. I don't know if it if there's recordings of it out there, but I've read that he sang it on, on an original iteration. Right. And then he was revising it again uh, during this tour, and I guess through... Uh, you know the the New Orleans influence, and I definitely the that culture down there can like fits into this theme. Um, yeah, so it I I think he was waiting for something to happen where he could get the most out of this song, and it took a few years. Yes. and it took yes. it, it took Garson to to take it to that. And I I think Bowie was the one who said like I want this to have a twenties feel to it, but like you said, it's it's finding that space to say. Hey, I've got this idea. I've got this musician. Let's put it together, and bang, you get you know one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah. Speaking of songs uh, being dug up from the past, something Bowie's not uh, afraid to do. The prettiest star is the second song on the side B. Yeah. So this one was, I think, the first song he wrote in the seventies. Uh, version exists with Mark Bolin on electric guitar. This is just a better version of it, kind of. It's like, okay, like Mark Bolin is capable of playing, uh, but Mick Ronson's better. (laughs) He kind of keeps it the same uh, throughout the first half of it. And then he, 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 you know, he kind of flares it up a little bit towards the end. But for the most part, it's it's the same song. Yeah, I I do prefer this version uh, to the original as well. or like yeah, Ronson he pretty much copies Bolin's flourishes and all that almost note for note. I have noticed that this is almost like a point of contention amongst Bowie biographers. Like some think that's selling Ronson a little short, and that he actually does do things significantly differently. But that just seems like sort of like a useless semantic debate to me of how significant the differences are. Because it sure it's not one hundred percent copied, but it's very similar. Yeah. If I had to hone in on one of the reasons I prefer it a bit to the original, it's because of the, like the distortion Ronson overdubs yeah. into like it's, it's actually like even in the intro that last bar, he kind of makes it a bit noisier, and you can tell it's it's an overdub, and he just adds like some feedback. Uh, it, it makes it a little more Aladdin sane-y. It, yeah. Still not really enough for for me to come back to this one a lot, unfortunately. But he does make it at least sort of fit the, the album a bit more than than the original would have. Yeah. He, I think he's using uh, his wah in the traditional sense a little, like very subtly too. Uh, and there's a bit of he's using like he's got a vibrato, um, probably just in the fingers. But yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, it's better. Um, yeah, I, I don't really. I'm not crazy about this song. It's I I, I wouldn't skip it. I wouldn't say the song sucks by any means. Um, it's it's just a solid song. Um, it's glam rock. It's an oldies. It's it's doo wop. Uh, but I think maybe one thing that I would change would it would just again we talked. I mentioned how I think a lot of these songs maybe go on a little bit too long, and the beauty of doo wop is, you know, it's over in in two and a half minutes mm-hmm. at the most. This one maybe goes on a little bit too long. The the end is just yeah, 
get get to the next one. I also think this one is maybe like a little too pretty. You know, like if you're gonna do a lovey dovey song and fit it into an Aladdin scene, it probably needs to be like a bit more androgynous. Well, it's funny you say that. My favorite part of this song is the second time he says the prettiest star. He says it in a really creepy voice. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I think the the next song is like a better love song for Aladdin Sink that's a bit more, like I said, like androgynous. Or if you're going to do a love song on Aladdin Sane, it should maybe even be like a bit more exotic, like a, a 19th century thing, kind of like the closing track is going to be. Yeah, yeah. This, this is where we can maybe start to tell that the album was perhaps a bit rushed. You know, you kind of read that a lot when, when you read about this album. You had mentioned on the last episode, or you had mentioned when we were talking about the Ziggy Stardust album, that you know albums came out at a much faster pace in the 70s, which obviously has its pros, but I guess uh, this is maybe like one of the cons of that era, that, you know, maybe a subpar song that, I, I, like, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really a fan of this song. It is, it's my least favorite on the record, this one. Yeah, I, I think... It's so I, I'm a fan of doo-wop. I, 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 but it has a time and a place. Uh, yeah, I think that's what like it. It, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb on this record. I think is what bothers me. Maybe above and all, and maybe I get the doo-wop from Drive-In Saturday. Yeah. I, I get enough of that fix for it. I, I think if it would have been shorter, it may, that might have been it. Or maybe like it, it was released as a single originally in the UK in the 70s but it didn't uh, I don't think it was released in the US yeah it was a flop over there too yeah uh, in the UK so I don't know why he decided to put it on this one like it fits in with like Driving Saturday but then like Driving Saturday was also like you know post post apocalyptic yeah this one's kind of just like it was just like a love song he wrote for Angie that he just kind of went back to the well for I, I guess like I said maybe for time constraints I'm not sure why he picked this one of all ones to go back to Maybe it was the driving Saturday connection, but I guess like if you were looking for like a more positive spin, I, I will say that this is like a deviation for Bowie in the sense that he is doing like a straightforward love song. It's something you could maybe like dance to in a romantic setting and he doesn't do this sort of thing often. So it's cool that we're getting something different, but like I said, it, it just like for me, it kind of does stick out like a sore thumb. I think the spirit of Aladdin Sane is kind of missing on this song. Like, maybe this should have been just, like, a Valentine's Day single or something, and maybe that's different for some people. Like, they might view Aladdin Sane differently from me, and, and that this doesn't maybe ruin the album's cohesion for them, but for me, it just doesn't quite belong on Aladdin Sane. And it's certainly not terrible or anything, but it's certainly, like, the most underwhelming moment on the record for me. Put it this way. If you put All the Young Dudes or John I'm Only Dancing on instead of this one... And I, I know those were singles, and they had their, they were, you know, or one was given away and one was released as a single, so they had their reasons for those being put out the way they were. But if you're going to, I mean, this song was a single that was recycled, so why not put out a current single yeah. and make th this Boy. album probably climbs a little bit higher, maybe, if it's if it doesn't have this on it and it has one of those instead. Yeah, it's, I, I'm not going to say this song is bad uh, because... It, it's not bad, I, but it's not great. <laughs> so take that for, I don't know what the hell that means, but that sounds like hedging. <laughs> it's I, I, I yeah. And, and you know what? I think, you know, I, I talked about this on man who sold the world where when you're making a, a blues rock album, your, your floor is pretty high. 
Mm-hmm. This like this it, this doesn't miss the same way that like a, a song on an '80s album that's bad misses. It's still like you're not gonna be like, oh, get this off, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, just maybe not as adventurous as the rest of the record. Yeah, you know, it's like it's just kind of like a medium song. Yeah, and you know, Bowie is you know we like him because he can he can get above that medium threshold quite often. Um, and he's going to again on this record, so we'll, we'll we'll fast forward, or maybe not fast forward, but we'll get to the next track. Let's spend the night together. A cover of the Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah, this one is Garson and Ronson uh, set free. Like, go get them. <laughs> it's it's high paced, high energy, yeah. and I think they. They do a great job of, of covering the song, first of all, uh, like Bowie does. I think they were adventurous on this one. They maybe did some things on it. Like, the intro is just, like... It sounds like maybe that this they could have added these effects to, like, Moon Age Daydream, but maybe they didn't want to, like, spoil it. So they are like, well, let's... You know, this is a cover, so we can just, like, you know, throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. Yeah. And you know, everything kind of sticks, so let's just leave it. It's fun. It's a, I think they were having a lot of fun when they cut this track. Yeah, I love the intro to this song oh, so much. With those crazy, like, spaceship yeah. lift-off noises. Oh, yeah, and the, the piano awesome. is all chaotic and off-key, kind of similar to the, the title track on this album. Uh, I will say, I, I almost wish that this song stayed in that lane for, like, a, a little bit longer with all the crazy synthesizer effects. You know, the, the spaceship noise only kind of pops up a couple of times throughout this song, but that's merely a minor gripe. I don't think that they botched uh, the final product because this is a pretty kick-ass cover. Yeah. Like the part where it, like, stops <laughs> at the end and then picks up again. He adds his own little verse, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's... Talk about making a song your own. They, they yeah. make this their own. It almost, like, if if you didn't know that this was a Stone song, you probably wouldn't expect this to be a Stone song because it's not really... It's an older one. I mean, this is 73, and this is, uh, what was it, 67? Let's yeah. spend the night together. So he's he's going back uh, quite a few years. And so the original song, I, I've never, I've always kind of thought that it sticks out in the Stones' early catalog, too, as sounding different. That's what I've kind of liked about this song in the past. I mean, I guess it's it, it's more so kind of between the buttons sounding as opposed to satanic majesties mm-hmm. uh but yeah it, it almost doesn't sound like a sto- like to me the original is kind of different so when you hear this one it's even more different so it it sounds like a bowie song yeah like the, his ver- like the bowie version i think is like a lot more aggressive and, and confident like mick was maybe a bit more timid on the rolling, at least like with the vocal delivery and with, and with the arrangement, yeah. yeah, like they've really picked this one up. Well, they changed the key. Uh, the original one, I think, is in. I don't know what the original one is in, uh, but this one's in an A, and it, it's different. I, I tried playing along to the Stones one; it, it's not the same. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he he does change it quite a bit in, in terms of like the key that it's in too. The covers always have a purpose on Bowie's records. I think we've mentioned that before. Now, he'll usually choose like a more obscure song that kind of fits the overall arc of the album he's after or what have you, but the reason he chose this one, at least in Angie's opinion, was because she thought Bowie was trying to surpass the Stones, that they needed to move over and out of the way, and that beating them at their own game was sort of like a statement. And yeah. 
I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it would make sense because it was also in this period that Bowie wrote All the Young Dudes, which of course has the the line where he says, my brother's back home with his Beatles and his Stones. We never got it off on that revolution stuff. What a drag, too many snags. So yep. maybe he is kind of, you know, sick of the Stones. He's going, all right, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, you guys are cool, but I'm just going to be a better version of you guys and, uh, you know, move over. Yeah, the... The effects are cool, kind of borderline silly in a way, but, you know, when you're doing a cover, yeah. why why the hell not, right? Yeah. Uh, love love Garson's playing. It's, that the riff that he throws in is just awesome. I mean, it's it's similar to the actual uh, Stones one too, but he, he plays it with a little bit more flair or something. Can't say enough about Garson on this album and Ronson uh, and yeah. And everybody involved. I enjoy this album quite a bit, if you haven't put put that together. (laughs) I guess, like, you know, so maybe Bowie's trying to steal the spotlight from the Stones here, but on the other hand, I guess it was courteous of him to give them some royalties by doing this track, because the Stones were kind of broke in this period, weren't they? They, Well, it was post-exile, right? Yeah. Which was a whole, yeah, that was an ordeal. They were set to, oh, I mean, I don't know the amount. Like, they were literally exiled. Yeah. Like, like exile on Main Street, they were living in France because they couldn't be in England anymore. Yeah, like, I think it was, like, they, since they'd started releasing music, they weren't properly, like, filing their taxes or something. So yeah. they probably owed millions, so they just said, fuck it, and fled the country, and, <laughs> yeah, they became ex- tax exiles As you do, France, when, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is why that album's called what it's called, and... Like, the reason that Stone's record sounds uh, so raw and swampy is because, like, they were recording it in, like, a makeshift studio in some basement that Keith was renting in in France, right? Yeah, it was humid, and it was damp, and it was, yeah, (laughs) terrible conditions, but it was perfect for that album. So so, some money in their pockets, so, you know, a nice, I don't know if that was a gesture, it probably (laughs) wasn't, but, I mean, it certainly certainly didn't hurt their pockets. When those checks started showing up, yeah. (laughs) On to the Gene Genie. Uh, this is another rock song. It's another blues song. Um, apparently it was either, uh, it was either George Underwood or, or Mick Ronson. Somebody was on the tour bus, uh, playing Chuck Berry songs, uh, Bo Diddley songs. And this kind of came up and it inspired, you know, Bowie to do his own take on it and, and, and write a song based around, uh, I'm a man, uh, particularly the Yardbirds, Yardbirds version. Yeah. yeah. That arrangement of it. And uh, he, once again, surpasses, uh, you know, whatever the muse is. He seems to find a way to, to just do it better. And, yeah. It, it, well, yeah, it's the classic blues riff, right? Uh, yep. Now, normally I don't dive too much into guitar progressions because I, I am fairly novice, but I do know the simple beauty of a song like I'm a Man or, or this one, Gene Genie, is that it's three beats of E followed by one beat of A, and what's simple about a little riff like this is that it gives the track like this infinite loop of momentum because it's forever climbing, right? It's E, 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 then up to A, E, E, then... A is the fourth. It, it, yeah. It just, it, it always goes, feels yeah. like you're climbing, right? Yeah. And now this isn't like groundbreaking or anything. It, it's simple. It, it's a simple enough progression. You know, it's one that's been done a million times over, but it does make sense that it found its way on to this record because it's a progression that kind of allows you to chug along and maintain momentum. And, and that's what, like, the bulk of Aladdin Satan is all about. It's a very momentous record and a very loud and noisy and aggressive record. So it makes sense that we get that lick here. Yeah. And again, very uh, an old 
uh, rock riff that that that's glam rock, right? It's it's you know like think of Get It On, a like T-Rex. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not much different. That's Chuck Berry, yeah. But it's you know when Mark Bowen starts singing, it's not your it's not your dad's Chuck Berry album. You know it's 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 glam rock now, and it's it's better. It's just the way that glam rock kind of that's the beauty of it is it's a modern take on it Mm -hmm. and just a more exciting take on uh, on that kind of music it's it's the it's the yeah it's where that music has to go to continue to be something worth listening to Mm -hmm. um i i really like the the verses their their spoken word like he puts emphasis on uh like city and monroe and yeah. He kind of only does it for like one syllable almost of like the because it's a very calm and then he'll do it like when he wants to. Yeah. So kind of yeah. Yeah. Uh, Walking on mo- yeah. There's a lot of sp- yeah, and there's a lot of space on this one, but it, it somehow I don't ever get bored waiting for the next part to start. Um, like the build up, like the poor little greenie, and then you know it gets to the to the verse. Like there's there's a lot of space on this track, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel empty at the same time. Yeah, because like the, those are kind of like uh, those little instrumental breaks have like that little they have some like interesting production techniques. Like there's like that cool rattlesnake. I was gonna noise. say it sounds like a rattlesnake. Yeah, yeah. It, it comes up I think usually at like the end of the instrumental breaks. Yeah, right? I think that was actually Ainsley Dunbar who okay. played that because I I don't know that for a fact, but I do know that he's given percussion credits. That's got to be yeah. yeah. yeah and he winds sense. up being Woody Woodman's replacement. Uh, on the next record, pinups, and I think he sticks around for he's on Diamond Dogs as well. Yeah. So yeah, like more of a straightforward rocker, but as always is the case with David Bowie and the Spiders from Mars, there's going to be these little interesting nuggets and production techniques along the way that make it a little bit more worth your while than maybe like the original iteration of this riff on like a Bo Diddley wreck. You know that they're adding to it, and they're adding to it in in very fun and interesting ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they didn't have much time. Uh, it was done in one day. Uh, they were driving to New York, I believe, on the bus. Got to New York, recorded it in New York in one day. Uh, one take. I think this, was this one even, like, maybe produced by Bowie himself? Because mm-hmm. it was the first one recorded for the record. Maybe Ken Scott wasn't there. I don't think so, because... Yeah, that, may, that would make sense. Because this was done in, like... October 1972 is when they recorded this song. Well, they, cause yeah. So that makes sense because he was still in America, obviously, if he recorded it in New York. Yes. So he hadn't even written Aladdin Sane yet. Cause he's still in America. Uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And I, like, I think DeFreeze wanted Phil Spector to produce this album. Oh, which, that would have been cool. <laughs> I, I, which I suppose like that's the next step. Logically, once you've achieved fame and stardom, you get like this legend and a big name to produce you. That but seems to be the way, like, you know, even the Beatles did that and the Ramones did that. It's like, yeah. what do we do now? Uh, Phil Spector? Like, okay. It's like default next step. Yeah, try to get Spector, <laughs> but yeah, they tried and tried again and they got no reply. So then they wound up going with, with Ken Scott again. And then they recorded the rest, I believe, of the album with him, like in the winter when the, the majority right. of this record yeah. was was completed but this was the first track recorded for the album it's it's kind of a sloppy recording i wonder if they didn't have much time to, to or uh, like there's parts where it's was uh, it ronson or boulder that jumps in too early they, they yeah they go to b too early right before yeah. that he says, he says like, get, get back. back one yeah in the before the first course but they just leave it which is just awesome first and that's take yeah uh and there's another part a bit later in the song too where i feel like somebody 
kind of steps out and it but then it quickly gets back and then we'll leave it makes it fun it just sounds i don't know yeah it it's just more of a it natural works. feel i don't know i yeah, i'm glad it's in there it's a cool mistake because sometimes a mistake you would need to scrap the song after a mistake but it, the mistake that they made was kind of cool it just <laughs> it sounds good i but, like that part yeah. i look forward to the get back oh movie. me too and so and, first, and it's the easiest song to restart and just like let's do it again it's only going to take us a couple minutes but they don't and that's it's awesome i guess we have to mention that, that it's is it about Iggy Pop? I don't think it was about him specifically. I think he said it's it, about somebody like Iggy, like a character Iggy. like Iggy. Yeah, yeah, somebody, what did he say? It was like a, he said, he had a quote, something about, it's, a, it's like a closet intellectual who wouldn't want the world to know what he's reading or something. It's like an ode to him more than it was like about him. It's kind of like in, an Iggy type of character, not actually about Iggy Pop. Yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot of it's just him kind of like riffing on words too, like ate all the razors and like what? <laughs> it keeps all your dead hair from making up underwear. Uh, not only is that a great lyric and a great uh, absurd lyric, but I think shortly after this, Bowie was sort of paranoid about his dead hair and his fingernails and he started collecting them this was during the mid 70s yeah. i think it was like a witchcraft kind of thing he I had think like toenail Crowley... clippings in jars or something he was pickling them in his so, fridge or i don't know he was he was keeping it all because he was paranoid yeah like about witches or something so a little bit of a, a precursor to a, a really messed up period for him and which which takes place shortly but yeah we'll get to that eventually all right, so we've landed at the final song on Aladdin Sane. Uh, that song is "Lady Grinning Soul." This is the uh, this is the London. The oh, it's inspired by London. I guess that's what it is, right? It's inspired by. Is that what those what it what it means at the end of each yeah. song title? Written in or Written inspired, in, inspired by. by. It just has to do yeah. with that place in some capacity. Yeah. Uh, so this one opens up with. Okay, I might say this. I, I think I like Garson's piano playing on this every bit as much as on Aladdin Sane uh, and on t- Time, too. I, I, he puts on a clinic on this one uh, once again. Starts with a really, really cool intro, uh, kind of flamenco-y sounding, uh, which Ronson will get to uh, shortly. And then when the guitar kicks in, it's uh, it reminds me of White Rabbit, Jefferson Airplane. You get that feeling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same chords, so. Really, really cool. It's romantic. It's haunting. Um, I love the way that his voice comes in at the beginning. Uh, it's it's a cappella. And, yeah, the, the vocal on this one, I, I think I saw somewhere he hits, like, his highest note or whatever on it it's uh he, he's really kind of flexing his pipes on this one flexing from everybody like garson the those those rapid fire arpeggios that oh during yeah. the verse that, that's my favorite part of the song i mean arpeggios being the act of not playing chords in full but playing the notes within a chord right yeah. like an ascending or, or, or descending fashion and and they're fantastic here i mean like they almost break the rhythm up because it sounds kind of offbeat and it almost adds like once again, like kind of like a layer of avant-garde and 
what I also love about those notes are, are how they're they're so fast paced and, and they come at you rapidly, but they're simultaneously somber and gentle. You know, it, it's like this great blend of frantic and soft, which is perfect because this is what romance sounds like. You know, your heart is pumping at a mile a minute, but your mood is still sort of soft and tender. Yeah. So I, I think that was just the perfect touch for the type of song that, that, that this is. I absolutely love, on the second verse, there, he, there's little riffs that he plays as well. Almost, they're just beautiful. It's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty playing. It's uh, it's very... I don't know. It's it's hard to describe what this like the feeling you get from this song. Yeah. That well, yeah. That's. I mean, I feel like I've mentioned this a million times, but that's one of Bowie's main calling cards for me is that you don't really know how to feel because there's not a single way to feel about some of his best songs like this one. And like this one, to me, is so incredible because it's so beautiful and it has this irresistible charm to it. But it also kind of has a dark cloud over it. You know, there is like a, there's a discomfort that permeates itself over this song's beauty. It was kind of the other way around on a song like Five Years. You know, that's a song with an in-your-face darkness, but beautiful and romantic undertones. Here the beauty and romance is in your face, but the eeriness kind of lurks a little bit more in the background. It's because the music is presenting it, not the lyrical content. Yeah, that, yeah. that's probably exactly why. And these are always what I find to be my favorite Bowie tracks. The ones where the like, the mood is maybe a bit bipolar. The ones where there, there's such a diverse range of emotions coming at you at once. And this is also, I think, what separates Bowie from the pack artistically. Like, you know, you and I both love the Rolling Stones, but, you know, the, the Rolling Stones would never... Like, this is kind of like a Rolling Stones-esque album, but they, they would never make an album oh, God, like no. this. Like, yeah. songs like, like, okay, Watch That Man and the Gene Genie, sure. You know, Let's Spend the Night Together, of course. Like, they literally wrote that song, but did they ever pair that with, like, A Lady Grinning Soul? No. Or, or an they, Aladdin Sane? Or, yeah. or Time? Like, you know, they, they kind of just stuck in one lane, and they're great at it. You know, they're one of my favorite artists of all time, but it's the songs like Lady Grinning Soul that, that make Bowie the more special artist, you know? the countless ways in which this song can hit you, the, the wide array of emotions it's able to evoke, and just gen, like just the wide array of songs on this album. You know, I think these are the reasons why David is celebrated a, a little bit more, or like maybe he's just a little bit more critically acclaimed yeah. than some other artists. On that note, this is a great one to play for somebody when they say, what makes Bowie so special? Like, you know... Why do you have? I have a David Bowie tattoo. Like, why do you like? Well, you like him enough to get him tattooed on your body. Like, what the hell? Like, what? What do you like? What? Why? Like, this would be a good place to start. Like, okay, well, he's a rock star, uh, but he's a rock star that does something like this. You know, uh, yeah. And and time is another perfect example of it. Aladdin Sane, um, and just like yeah, so many. It feels like when you are in the mood for something, you can find it somewhere in Bowie's catalog. Like the flamenco guitar solo in this, yes. in this song, it's the last thing you would expect on on this. But by the time you get to that part on this song, you're ready for it. Yo, and yeah. it's just the way that the the song is. You can only do it on a song like this. You can't do this on a song that the Rolling Stones write. You can't have that little. Fl- I mean, yeah. maybe. Like I don't. You know, I'm 
speaking off the top of my head here, maybe that stuff exists and I'm sure it does, but it's smaller scale. On a, exactly. Yeah. It not where the, to the point where it's like, Oh, this is like definitive, like flamenco in popular music. Yeah. And just the, the theme of this song too, is just like, it, it's a love song, but it's not a happy love song. It's a scary love song. You're, you're scared about the love. Like I'm, I'm scared of the sub. I, I don't know who lady grinnings, who do you think, like, who do you picture lady grinning soul to be? I know there's a, there's maybe a right answer, but well, it was, it's ironically keep it in line with talking about the stones is it's actually written about the same girl that Brown sugar was written. Right. about. Yeah. But, um, but that, that isn't who I'm picturing. No, exactly. I'm to the song. Yeah. yeah to, to your point. <laughs> I picture like uh, I'm not even, like like I don't know like, like whoever this is uh, sh- she's involved in some like black magic. There's something bad happening. Like it's almost like uh, Rhiannon from Fleetwood Mac. Sure, yeah. It, it's that. It's a similar character to that. Like uh, maybe it's a witch or something. Or it's it's somebody that's a I, I don't know. Well, like, we've always you always hear that this is kind of like Bowie's long lost James Bond theme song yes so yeah. you picture like those those when the the credits show up after the, the intro to a james bond movie there's sort of like these very surreal you know visuals panning around all over the place and it, it looks like this very like mystical universe yeah and i think that's a, a big reason why this song is sort of attached to that not only for the sound but because it, it's that mystique that's sort of uh that that, that just that mysterious Or it carries to itself. And it it does it without the visual effects, which is what is so cool. You picture the visual without actually seeing it. Yeah. Uh, This is another top, uh, ooh, top 25, I'll say. Top 25 Bowie song. Comfortably, maybe. It's funny because, like, you mentioned, like, oh, this would be, like, a song that you play for somebody when you're trying to show, like, why do you love David Bowie? To me, it's like, I'm sure you would agree with this too, it's not like you would pick a song, this is one of the songs you would pick, because you probably have to choose like 12 or something, you probably couldn't pick one, Exactly. but it's like, alright, well he's got a bunch of different styles, so I probably would throw this one in there, and you'd probably throw, oh, it's gonna give me anxiety even thinking of where to start. Yeah, because you're, like, the first thing, so yeah, if I were to actually try to tackle that, the first thing I would do is, is say to myself, well... Okay, I've got to try to cover all the different bases that Bowie was somehow able to cover throughout his career, and this would be one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's it. So that concludes our breakdown of the tracks on Aladdin Sane. Uh, now is the time to take a look at what our listeners have said via Twitter. That is at Bowie Podcast. Uh, for those new to the show, for those who are listeners, maybe haven't spoken up yet, we'd love to hear from you. We love getting different angles uh, when talking about these albums. We feel like it's necessary uh, to get this to get these this material covered, get as many angles as we can. So, without further ado, as per usual, we have a great pile of responses. I guess I'll kick us off here with a. Uh... Someone who, who replies to us frequently, that's Gail, who is uh, can be found at Softly in the Dusk on Twitter. She says, Hooray! Aladdin Sane is in my top two favorite Bowie albums. Every song is a triumph, but my most favorite is the title track. Mike Garson's influence is heard all over this album, but the piano solo is perfect on both Aladdin Sane and Lady Grinning Soul. Ah, uh, bliss. Now, top two album is an interesting one. 
I've never really played this record back-to-back with Ziggy, and I have to say, I think I really might have to reconsider which album I prefer. Interesting, wow. I I would normally say Ziggy at the drop of a hat, but there's heights that this record reaches, uh, thanks to Garson's avant-garde flourishes, that Ziggy just never reaches. Uh, You know, I think this, this record achieves maybe a bit more musically, and while that wasn't the point of Ziggy, and that kind of maybe makes it hard to use that as a knock against Ziggy, it still doesn't mean that I can't use what Aladdin Sane does musically as a reason why I might prefer it. So I- I'm going to have to think about that one. Uh, top two, I don't know, but it- it- maybe it's ahead of Ziggy for me. Interesting. Wow. that's uh, I didn't expect that, but that's, that's a fair point to make. Um, something we should point out, too. Uh, Mike Garson liked that comment. He did, yeah. Uh, we- I'd love to hear from you, Mike, if you're listening <laughs> Yeah, Mike, if you're listening... Come on the show, please. Yeah. Can you uh, can you maybe do an intro uh, or an outro for us? Yeah. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Okay. Uh, we've got one from a large ice paint water uh, coming to a Starbucks secret menu near you. <laughs> Love this album. It feels like summer to me. That's interesting because, yeah, Stones are a summer band. Exile's a summer band album uh and that's what this one kind of is the closest to uh we were talking recently about summer bowie there isn't tons of it i mean we space oddity uh and man of the world kind of fit that but this one fits there too so yeah I, i i feel that uh this one i listened to a little later in my dive into his music it's the most iconic cover but these songs are real aren't really in movies or on the radio as much as others i just got on vinyl i'm very excited my favorite track is the title track, but I put Let's Spend the Night Together in my most upbeat playlists, or in most of my upbeat playlists. It's fun to see people's reaction when it gets to do it, which sounds a lot like Emperor Palpatine. I love uh, that you referenced the prequel trilogy, too, because I, I ride uh, for the prequel trilogy. Oh, me too. I, yeah, we're going to lose followers or listeners to this, but hey, the prequel trilogies, maybe it's we're a product of growing up in that era, but... Well, They're the, great. I think the people who hate that prequel trilogies are, are a product of growing up on the old, on on the the first trilogy, right? Yeah. Like to me, it, like it's very overhated to me. Like you, you hear a lot of pushback from purists. You know, they go, "Oh, Jar Jar is too silly and stupid." It's like well, no shitty silly. It's a fucking kid series. Like <laughs> if you want something more mature, go watch. I don't know Schindler's List. Like why would you ever watch Star Wars and be upset at childish comic relief? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith is my favorite Star Wars movie, and I think Anakin is great in it. I think he needed to be the way he was. Anyway, uh, that episode, that scene in particular, I mean, it's, it's a very dark movie yeah. and a very dark. That's where he kills uh, the Count kids. Dooku, right? Or, or that's the beginning of it. That's where he says, "Do it." I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Do it. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, and so it's it's kind of interesting because you know it's a very dark film, uh, not unlike some of the moments on this record. Yeah. Which is f- interesting because yeah, like this is a. They mentioned that this is a a summer sounding record, right? Mm-hmm. I think it, it is, but it's all once again. I've mentioned this a million times, but like it's another. It's one of those albums where. It might sound like summer to me in some spots, but then it's also like a cold record. Well, in yeah, some like, spots t- like too, like Bowie, time and Lady Grinning Soul, the Garson-driven ones. Yeah, well, and like how I said at the beginning or on the first episode, I I do tend to separate this album into two groups of of types of songs. That that doesn't 
that's not a bad thing. Like it's, it's a good thing, but yeah, there's, there's two seasons to this one too, maybe. Yeah. And that's why we keep mentioning it as a reason why we love Bowie is that there's always a a yin to his yang, right? There's always the other side to the coin. So, but yeah, I mean a a summer record. I mean, I've been playing I mean, I guess it's not really summer anymore, but I've been playing when I have people over, I like to play, you know, yeah, let's spend the night together. You know, it's a great rendition. It's upbeat. It's a party song. Watch the, watch that man, Gene Genie, cracked actor, play all those songs at your summer, you know, barbecue and grill. And you know, it'll, it should go over well. Yeah. Thank you for giving us a platform to talk about the prequel trilogy too. The gospel, according to Tony Day, says that it's actually the disc that I hardly ever play. Never have. I just don't feel a connection with it. I wish the title was left as Love, Aladdin, Vain. The title track demos, the slow ones are pretty awesome. In my humble opinion, the title track is a masterpiece. So I, I do feel I think, connected to this record a lot more than Tony Day, but I am glad he mentioned the demos because it is worth mentioning that there's songs like uh, Zion, right? Uh, that if you haven't heard or checked out, you probably should because that's a great track. And I guess, Tony Day, sorry to put words in your mouth, I'm not sure if this was your point or not, but I think it seems like there's potentially like this alternate universe out there where maybe the Ronson-driven rockers were left off of here and like the whole album has uh, more of like a somber approach and, and even more uh, slow-moving Garson-driven tracks all over it. Most people do cite those ones as the best track, as you yeah. mentioned Aladdin Sane as, the, as a masterpiece. So maybe if the entire record was like that, it could be interesting. Not that I'm advocating uh, to change it, but it's a, it's an interesting what if. I, th- I think if this album is made 40 years later, it maybe turns out like that. You know, like he, he had the ability to put Blackstar out. Maybe at the time, being in his 20s, being in a rock band, being on tour, you know, he thought, well, okay, I got to write cracked actor maybe if the world was actually ending <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah or that. Not, not that he was anticipated but it was like actually yeah five years comes to life yeah justin waterman says watch that man sounds more like a stones cover than let's spend the night together does uh that's very true it's done in the same way that the stones would do a song mm-hmm. even though it's not a stone song so yeah totally um and the arrangement on time is still absolutely stunning um Maybe talking about how, you know, it's it's aged incredibly well. I, I don't, that doesn't sound like a 70s song to me anyway. It sounds like it could have been produced now. Like it, it didn't it's even timeless. sound like a 70s song at the time. No, it sounded like a 20, but it, well, yeah, it sounded like a 20s song with crazy electric guitar on it. So that's kind of neat. That was another single, wasn't it? I, don't think, I think it's one that didn't even really do too well. I don't think, it, like, it's not really like. It's, it's not a most, radio song. It's not his most commercial song. No. I, and he was popular at this point, but I think that one. I mean, it could be wrong, but I think that one kind of slipped under the radar at the time. Oh, I know, because it, it had a single edit. It's only three minutes and 38 seconds on the single. Oh, okay. That's that's it was, a it, shame. They did that with, like, Station to Station, too. They started, they started off with... Once, once they were the, Just, yeah. oh, I get you gotta do it for the radio, but just that's just not how these songs were supposed to be listened to. Elston Gunn the Fourth says my favorite is probably Cracked Actor or the Gene Genie, Rano doing his thing, but there's so much. Watch That Man is maybe the best Stone song, not by the Stones. What's amazing is that he nailed the early 70s Stone sound specifically, a sound that was less than a couple years old, which is, that's very similar to what Justin said, and he had 
commented right after. I just saw this comment after posting my similar take, so it's yeah. kind of funny how that worked out. Yeah. Uh, so a vote for the Rockers. Yeah, we kind of have a split down the middle almost. Uh, you know, that's what makes this album great. I mean, the cover is a split down the middle of his face. I mean, that's kind of very <laughs> yeah, representative hey, of what go. this album is, right? So yeah. we've got two two great sides uh, to, to this record. French Toast David says, Time is my favorite track on the album by far. Oh God, I'm still alive. I should be home by now is another one of those death is a safe haven images, which I love so much in David's work. He's reminding us to question our place and our perception of the universe. Yeah, maybe that, you know, that kind of sums up what I was trying to maybe relay where I wasn't really sure exactly how to say what I thought it was about. It is, yeah, it's like it's, he's waiting for death's release on this song. Uh it, it, yeah, there, we didn't really talk about the emotion of time, but that, that song, it, it is a very emotional song. And on a less deep note, the Glass Spider Tour version is so cool. I cannot express how much I love the huge shimmering blue wings unfolding behind them. That entire production was so brilliant. Yeah, that that that's a highlight of that of that show, of that tour. I, I absolutely love that, that, to, that DVD. Uh, Dad told me that he was so when that tour came to winnipeg they didn't go into that one but they listened to it from the parking lot oh okay yeah, yeah. so that's that's kind of neat they they went to the serious moonlight tour a few years prior uh but they yeah they listened to that one from the parking lot which is really really neat we're gonna have a guest on for the glass spider episode when we get to that tour who has i think some really cool things to share about that but we'll we won't spoil too much. Yeah, I'd like to have a lot of our listeners, especially some of the more recurring names here. I'd maybe like to get some of the listeners on like like a wrap up episode or something. Yeah, we could, you know, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, we'll we'll have to yeah coordinate. French Toast also said, I want to give a shout out to the Aladdin Saint piano solo for being so incalculably good. It's chaos is gorgeous, and it makes me feel like the king of a collapsing world, sitting on a throne watching the universe fall apart. Now, I love that David said, it's chaos is gorgeous, because that dichotomy is exactly what I'm talking about when I say Bowie songs tend to extract polarizing emotions on a single track. On one hand, it's chaotic and wild and all over the place, but it's simultaneously gorgeous, you know? So yes, the, the world is falling apart before your very eyes and everything seems crazy, but you also feel like you're immune to it all. You know, it, it can't harm you. You're the king of the world, and it also makes you feel invincible. So I, I think it's pretty crazy that, you know, Bowie was able to achieve an emotional response of that degree uh, without even any words, uh, with just noise, or I guess... Garson was able uh, yeah. to, to, to do that. I mean, Bowie kind of got it out of him, but I mean, that was Garson more or less just freestyling. Just, okay, let's let's give it a go. Yeah, and incalculable, incalculable, incalculable. Yeah, it's easier to fucking, I can't say it. That's our White Claw, uh, sponsored by White Claw, mispronounced <laughs> word of the day. Incalculably uh, is the perfect... <laughs> I said to say that like I'm just learning how to talk is the perfect uh, maybe word choice too because come like th- that's a very free jazz solo and that is something that can't be calculated in in a sense mm-hmm. it, it's very uh, it, it's it's not formulated the same way that you know music structurally properly is you know it's it's yeah that that song is 
when you know when you're ever you're you're playing you're actually calculating something and you get some fucked up number that it's like whoa what did I press that was wrong well, that's, that, that's kind of like that's the the solo well but, that's what Garson was doing when he when he tried to recreate it live you know apparently he was like well I can't he couldn't really ever recreate it live note for note obviously right. it's kind of like the guitars in like eight miles high by the birds too right it's like well you're not going to really be able to get that exact note for note sound again. Right. You're going to get that crazy equation if you try to do that. So you, you probably have to uh, do it similarly to, to, to what you did the first time, but it's never going to be the same. Yeah. Something that free and yeah. that off the wall is just incalculable. That messed up, you said it better than me. <laughs> that, <laughs> messed, that messed up number turned out to be like 3.14 whatever. It was like, oh, it's... You know, it, oh, it, it's the right answer. Even Some people actually up. like remember all the every last decimal spot for pi. Yeah, that's it's crazy. A, that's a good party trick, I suppose. Oh, <laughs> Not, <Is> it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a party trick. <laughs> all right, should we get to our final thoughts on Aladdin Sane? Thanks again, uh, by the way, to our friends on Twitter. That's at Bowie Podcast. Uh, if you're looking for us. Uh, yeah, we love hearing from you. Final thoughts, Aladdin Sane. Well, I guess it's like a, a darker version of Ziggy, right? If that's uh, possible, but it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, this is rock and roll with, uh, with an even eerier twist. Uh, I think it's spookier sounding than, yeah. uh, than the last album. Uh, it's heavier and louder in spots at least. And, and, you know, the lyrics are harsher. There's, all kinds of decadent partying, you know, like on Watch That Man, we have a world war scenario and a very chaotic piano solo on the title track. There's the post-apocalyptic scenario of a drive-in Saturday. There's riots in Detroit. We have washed-up actors paying for sex, references to rock stars, Odin and the Grim Reaper looming over us. You know, this entire record is dark with References, you know, to violence and, and, and death and sex, drugs, urban decay. It really is a, a brutal record. I think it's a great cousin album to Ziggy. A, a bit more adventurous, uh, but also a, a bit more rushed in spots. It, it really is hard for me to say which one I like better, but luckily I don't have to choose between the two, and I can kind of just keep playing both. Yeah. Great time of year to be listening to it, too. You know, uh... Halloween's around the corner, falls upon us kind of mm-hmm. here. Um, and it makes sense that it sits after Ziggy and in terms of original material before Diamond Dogs. Diamond Dogs seems like the natural progression for where Bowie's head's at. It, it, I mean, if it's if this album isn't spooky, uh, Diamond Dogs d- is. Uh, or there's definitely some, you know, there's some dark themes on that one as well. Aladdin Sane is kind of it's a, it's an album that I've I kind of underrate in my own head sometimes. I have a very I, I have like an analytical mind where I'm I'm always trying to to sort things. I'm always ranking Bowie albums, and I've I've, got, I've always got like if someone says, "Can you rank all of Bowie's studio albums?" I can send them a spreadsheet in like two seconds because I've got one, you know. And this one seems to like I'll say get into outside or something and I'll want to make a statement and say like, this is a top five Bowie album. And it's like, well, what are you knocking out? Aladdin Sane seems to always fall victim to like, Oh, I'm going to knock this one down a little bit. Mm-hmm. It might just be that over the last few years, I haven't listened to it as much as I did at a time. 
And I think it's time that I kind of brought it back up to where it belongs. Like it, it is a, a fringe top five Bowie album for me. Uh, it, it sits between five and 10 probably somewhere, but very comfortably. And on the higher end of that, I think uh, to hear you say that it's, it's a toss up or maybe depending on your mood that day or, you know, recency bias, maybe a little bit, but we did just listen to Ziggy too. So mm-hmm. to hear you say that it's, it's in that, that conversation to which one do you like more? I think that's, yeah, that's kind of got me to think like, Hey, you know what? You add Garson to Ziggy and you get Aladdin sane. Like that's, that's, that's a pretty good formula. And like you said too, I'm glad we have both and I'm glad that we don't have to choose and that we can listen to both because yeah, this one definitely belongs in that conversation for one of the best Bowie albums ever. Uh, it's not a step down from Ziggy. If anything, if, if Ziggy's your favorite Bowie album or is, if Ziggy is, is the pinnacle, I don't think Aladdin same is a, Aladdin same is a step back. It's just a step in a different direction. It would be pretty weird for like Ziggy to be your number one and Aladdin same to be like number 15. Yeah, it couldn't be. be. I'd be like, well, what? Like, (laughs) yeah. And unless you don't, unless you don't like horror movies or something, (laughs) then I guess it can turn you off of it a little bit. But, uh, as a, I like horror movies as much as I, well, almost as much as I like Bowie. And I think I like Aladdin Sane almost as much as I like Ziggy, which is a lot. So yeah. I think, uh, I think that kind of says it. Yeah. If I maybe want to like, maybe try to like sell this album, make, make a, make a pitch. I think what I would say is like, this is what you can appreciate about this record is that it's kind of Bowie's first foray into like the avant-garde um you know like i think it was very ballsy to release something like this or at least some of the songs on this record like uh the title track because you know bowie was a one-hit wonder for the longest time like you know between 1969 space oddity and then 1972 with ziggy he was pretty much a nobody during that period but then by the time he gets to ziggy he does finally reachieve his success and then he immediately follows that up with something so inaccessible and adventurous. You know, he could have just played it safe and done like 12 Watch That Man's, you know, made a record of just Panic in Detroit, Cracked Actor, you know, uh, Gene Genie, and Let's Spend the Night Together. Yeah. But he kind of, you know, he, he got a... It was a kind of like a brave move to, to do some of these things. And I think bravery and, you know, and changing is kind of what a lot of us love about Bowie. So it would make sense for this to maybe be looked at as just as important of an album as Ziggy Stardust because of what it's able to accomplish in that regard. It's almost like he's dying to get to that point where he can do his passion project, where he can put commercial success out of the, you know, this has to be a part of my songwriting process because I need to survive. He just can't wait to get past that. Okay. Like I've, I've done my dues I've, I've put out these albums and now I can work on something for, for me or something that doesn't have, you know, like, like for example, he kind of did that with hunky dory. He was like, okay, well, I, I've got a hit. I, I, but then he goes down to something that isn't going to, you can't tour. You're not going to get top, you know, radio play with, uh, Oh, you pretty things or Bule brothers or quicksand. And then he said, okay, well I'll do Ziggy. And then like, Oh yeah, I'm a star. Now I can do Aladdin Sane. Yeah. I, I think it was, he's just dying to get to that part of his career. And he maybe jumped to that a bit 
early, which is to our benefit, but not to his, you know, commercial benefit at the time. I think like Garson was like the key that unlocked that door. It was like, okay, you, you can do yeah. these things. Like, this is what I need. This is what I, you know, to get to that. Yeah. Garson is sort of the key that, that unlocks that door. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm glad we're, we're doing this show because I never really would have considered Aladdin Sane to be like neck and neck with Ziggy. But the more and more I think about it, I'm like, well, I mean... This this, yeah. this this is I mean what why not I mean oh I don't really like Pretty Star that much well, I don't really like it ain't easy that much uh, you know it, for for every low point on Ziggy there's an equal low point here uh, I think I maybe like the highs a little bit more on Ziggy I like Rock and Roll Suicide in five years probably more than any song on this record but then this song has time time and I, I'm I insane think, and, I, I and think Lady I, Soul I think I like time more than any song up to this. Ooh, that's close. It, I I like time more than anything on Ziggy, by a hair. But yeah, the 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 highs are high. I I think Ziggy's average songs, like average songs for Ziggy, are just they're so damn good. As where Panic in Detroit, Prettiest Star, it's like uh, it's okay. It's it they're just okay. Uh but it it doesn't hold the album back too much that might be the thing that puts it a, a bit higher i think for i think i the vibe i'm getting is i'm higher on this one maybe a bit more than you i don't, I don't really not like panic in detroit not that you dislike panic in detroit but i i like panic in detroit uh i think better than like lady stardust and soul of uh okay we, yeah, we could I sit don't. here all day yeah. comparing the songs and yeah. that but I, I, th- that would be one of the examples i think of why it maybe uh, is slotted a, a bit higher for me yeah because the only one i really don't like on this one i think is prettiest star and once again i don't think it's a horrible song but just one that i would say i don't like yeah and i don't even know if you like aladdin sane more than i do it, it might just be it's closer to ziggy than it is you know what i mean maybe i like ziggy more than you do if that makes sense, because yeah. I also like Aladdin saying like, as much as you're saying you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, we'll 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 do a full comparison at the end of I think once we finally get to to the end of this uh, never ending catalog of of Bowie's, but yeah. I think it will be interesting. I think we talked about we have lists that we've made prior of our favorite Bowie albums ranked, and I think we're gonna do them a revisited version at yeah. the end of the show. That'll be interesting to see the the risers and fallers. Yeah. The rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and. The, It'll yeah, be the rise quite, and fall of the, the rise of, and fall of Ziggy Stardust. That'll be that'll be the name. Yeah. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, we'll conclude. Aladdin Sane side B. I like side B more than side A. I think. Oh be- really? Yeah, because of time and Lady Grinning Soul. Those two just. I can't ever say that I don't like those as much as. I guess that's fair. Thank you for listening to this episode we'll be back next time with a different kind of episode than we've done before we're going to get into some live stuff of the of the era we're gonna maybe just call it the ziggy tour where we'll talk about uh ziggy stardust motion picture some live tracks from you know from santa monica or any other shows that pop up on youtube or whatever We'll talk about the tour, we'll talk about the aesthetic, we'll talk about his look, talk about the band. Give us some space to talk about songs that we that didn't find their way on albums, like My Death, or right, All yeah. the Young Dudes, that we maybe didn't, weren't able to uh, touch on, that, that, that we would have liked to have in depth, like we did uh, the ones on the record. So, 
these are, I think these are going to be cool episodes. So yeah, I look forward to them. If you're if you're looking for something to watch or to listen to, if you do that in you know getting ready for an episode or, or whatever it is, uh, maybe watch the Ziggy Stardust motion picture. That'd be a good place to start if you want to get in the mood. Uh, that's what I'll be doing this week. Looking forward to that. Uh, looking forward to hearing your takes on that too. That'll be interesting. That'll be a different angle. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jesse. And I'm John. We'll catch you next time.